the Bible Study Podcast, episode 153. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of Acts with Acts chapter 16. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We continue the study of Acts with what is known as Paul's second missionary journey. He came to Derby, then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the church was strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. So two important things are going on in this particular opening section here. One is that Paul meets Timothy for the first time. And Paul will have a wonderful father-son kind of relationship with Timothy. And two books in the Bible are written from Paul to Timothy, obviously First and Second Timothy, as Timothy goes on to become a shepherd or a pastor in a particular congregation after Paul leaves and moves on second one being they're going to the churches that Paul and Barnabas had been to on the first journey, and they're strengthening the churches, and they're bringing back this word from the first council of Jerusalem, what the elders had decided relative to Gentiles and whether they needed to be Jewish. And continuing on, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they turned to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Again, two interesting things going on in this, the first obvious and the second one subtle. The first obvious thing is Paul is being guided in this journey to go into Macedonia and Greece to bring the gospel into what is considered Europe and out of what is Asia. And so he's going from modern-day Turkey into modern-day Greece. And the second one, the least obvious thing, but I refer to this way back when we started the chapter, is Luke just joined Paul. I don't know if you noticed that, but we went from the third-person narrative to the first-person narrative. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, but after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. And so this is a portion of Paul's journeys with Luke. And we'll see Luke will travel with Paul, and then they'll leave him behind, and then he'll rejoin them later on. And he never announces his arrival, but he switches tense from third person to first person and back again. And Luke, like Timothy, is understood to be of Greek origin, although in his case, he is probably Greek on both mother and father's side. And Luke is understood in church tradition to be a physician. Continuing on, Lydia's conversion. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. 
who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And so we meet Lydia, and Lydia becomes a central figure in this particular church in Philippi. And Philippi is a Roman colony, so it is founded by people who were Roman legionnaires who have retired from Roman service, and that's how you found a Roman colony. You take these people and you put them in a place where you're looking for some loyal Romans. And you've had some problems in Greece before, in the century before Julius Caesar, for instance, there were wars between Greece and Rome. And so this Roman colony was planted here to secure this portion of the world as a Roman province. And because it's a Roman colony and it's founded by ex-legionnaires, there probably is not a synagogue, because remember, it's Paul's modus operandi to go to the synagogue first and preach, and then to start the church on that. But he goes instead to the river where there's a place for prayer. So there's a place where people who believe in God where, but have not become Jewish that are gathering. And that means that there's less of a basis in this particular place. There are fewer people with an understanding or a background in Jewish religion, fewer people with an understanding of the Old Testament. But he meets Lydia, and and Lydia is a rich woman. Now, it doesn't say that explicitly, but it says two things. It says she's a dealer in purple cloth, and purple cloth is the color of royalty, and it's expensive. Purple dyes are very expensive. And so she is a wealthy woman, and she has enough space at her house for them to stay with her as well. And then we get probably the most interesting story, or one of the most interesting stories, from Paul's first missionary journey, and this is with Paul and Silas in prison. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. And so Paul and his companions are being hassled by a demon, but not just a demon, a demon who is making money for the owner of this slave by predicting the future. So you can probably guess what's going to happen at this point. He's interfered with commerce. It isn't really so much that he has cast a demon out that anyone cares about. What they care about is this girl can no longer predict the future. So it goes on, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, Roman law is the worship of Caesar, and this will be the problem from this point on until the conversion of Constantine in the 300s. At various times, the Roman government will persecute Christians, although not yet, and at various times it will ignore them, but at all times, the Christian religion does not fit with Roman practices, especially the worship of Caesar. The crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he threw down his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, I read this section with just a little bit of trepidation because the last time I taught on Acts chapter 16, I was teaching in Juvenile Hall, and I got to this section and there was an earthquake. One of the young men who was there that night wondered whether that was because he wasn't paying attention. I told him that was probably not the case, although I wouldn't necessarily rule that out. God has a sense of humor, I think, sometimes. It was a minor earthquake. I should point out that he first went to see whether the doors were unlocked, just in case, But the earthquake is not the most interesting portion of this passage, in my opinion. The interesting thing is Paul and Silas are beaten, they're chained, they're in stocks, they're in the dark, they're in the dungeon, and they're singing hymns. They are praising God, they are praying, and it makes an impact, apparently, on the other prisoners. Because the other prisoners are given an opportunity to to escape when the prison doors are thrown open by an earthquake and their chains come loose and they don't go anywhere. Now, this is a passage that I enjoy talking about in Juvenile Hall because in Juvenile Hall, everybody wants to get out. Can you imagine coming into contact with a faith that is so attractive that there is something so different and so special about it that you would rather have that than to get out. That's what happens here. Their chains come loose, they have a chance to escape, and no one leaves. There is something about the faith here of Paul and Silas that keeps these people in the dark, in the dungeon, as the better place to be. The jailer's afraid the prisoners have escaped, and the jailer would be subject to whatever they were found guilty of. So if they're sentenced to two years at the slave galley, he would have to do two years at the slave galley. If any of them is under a capital crime, he would be killed. So because of that, he's about to kill himself. The honorable thing to do here. And Paul shouts out, don't harm yourself. Paul is considering the well-being of his jailer. When the Bible talks about love your enemies, it means things like this. It means the person who probably just had them flogged, quite possibly. The person certainly who was commanded to keep them in jail, Paul is showing concern for him. Why didn't he just let him die? He's certainly no friend of Paul's, but that's not what he does. The jailer calls for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. 
It's interesting. Lydia, she and her whole household, the jailer, he and his whole family. I know the Christian evangelist Watchman Nee in his book, Normal Christian Life, uses this particular section to talk about how baptism is an understanding of whose kingdom we're in and whose authority we are under. And so when the jailer believes and his family who are under his authority believe that they are placed then under the authority of the kingdom of God. And he talks about salvation in those terms. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jail with the order to release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. Now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. Paul is a Roman citizen, and apparently so is Silas. Paul's father, I think we've learned, is a Roman citizen, and he has inherited that. It's an inherited thing. And you can get that if you're out in the provinces by performing some service for the empire. And it gives you a greater protection under the law than someone who is a non-citizen. You can't be crucified, for instance, as Jesus was, as Peter will be, because that is something that wouldn't happen for Roman citizens. That is something that is for slaves or something that is for people who are not citizens. And so this causes some uproar. They have punished him without a trial, and he's a citizen is a bad thing to do. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escort them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them, and then they left. When we look at the letter to the Philippians later on, we should understand, I believe it is one of Paul's earlier letters written, and It's written in part because they didn't get a chance to resolve everything they wanted to before they moved on. They're moving on somewhat because of this incident, and therefore there are still some things left undone. But there is already at this point in Philippi a church, and a church that will grow strong. And Lydia and now the jailer and their families are certainly portions of that church. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to leave a comment at thebiblestudypodcast.com or send me an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com. As always, thanks so much for listening. The love of God is immeasurable. It's unchanging. It's indescribable. Because God loves you so much, you can sleep through the night in peace. With Abide Bible Sleep Meditation, you can fall asleep fast with relaxing sleep stories based on Scripture. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Bible Sleep Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.